As you know, we have been talking about spiritual warfare. And the natural thing to do after you've been through war college, as we have been through the past month, is to go out and by force take the world. But there's another model that we have, the model that we have, that is more lilting and more winsome than forceful. Pray with me. Lord, as we look into your word, teach us the incarnation of it. Implant in us the character of your son Jesus, who we follow, to whom we look as the author and pioneer of our faith. We pray this in his name. Amen. We've been talking about strongholds. Let me remind you from last week what strongholds are. They are patterns of thinking that are of the world or patterns of behavior or patterns of feeling or patterns of fantasizing that we regress to whenever we meet with tribulation. And so therefore, they are a hold or a cavity that Satan builds in our life to be the dumping place and the reversion of our progress. We must hunt them down. We must beware of them. Now, there are cultural strongholds. We will talk about them this month. There are interpersonal strongholds, things that sabotage our relationships with each other. We will talk about those next month. And there are personal strongholds, ways in which we wreck our own lives. We'll talk about those in August. First cultural strongholds. If you'll turn to the text, and let me just read through to verse 53. This is the night of Jesus' arrest. And while he, starting with verse 47, while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a great multitude with swords and clubs from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now I want you to see the two power forces that are represented here. There is the militia, physical force, and there is the, um, the spiritual leadership or the religious leadership, the religious force that is represented coming to confine Jesus. Now he gave, who was betraying Jesus, gave them a sign saying, Whomever I shall kiss, he is the one, look at the word, seize him. And immediately he went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you've come for. He just lays down. Friend, do what you've come for. And then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Now look at the reaction, not of Christ, but of his followers. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said, put your sword back into its place. For all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. That's over 72,000 angels. Let me read some more. 
How then shall the scriptures be fulfilled? That it must happen this way. At that time, Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. There's a stronghold that we have in this culture. And the stronghold is this, that there is more power in argument than example. That it's fine to go out and with example for a while, try to live our lives, but when that doesn't work, we need to take things into our own hands. We go from cooperation to control. From mutuality to manipulation. There must be a way that the, we can make this happen, you see. That happens in our... Per- we, we live like that. That happens in our lives. Our culture's tendency is to build adversarial relationships and thereby win for a moment control over the other person. Now, you can see this simply by looking at the dynamic of where the main secular power is coming from these days. It's not coming from the administration anymore. It's not coming from the Congress anymore. It's coming from our judicial system. We are turning to um, a litany of litigation. The way we settle our disputes is not by cooperation and understanding. It is by going to court. The highest power in this land right now, almost in danger of ruining the checks and balances system, is the Supreme Court. And even when things are settled in the Supreme Court, they are not settled. There is simply another precedent for an ongoing battle to take place, for a re-argument of the same cases. Do you know that we have, in the state of Florida, alone, more attorneys than in the entire country of Japan? Now, in Japan, they have more engineers in a fraction of that country than we have in our whole nation. What is the agenda of an engineer? The agenda of an engineer is to solve a problem. It is to produce something. What is the agenda of an attorney? It's to solve a conflict. What are we gearing up for in our society? While Japan is gearing up for better production, we are gearing up for battle, aren't we? And please don't blame the attorneys. The market will stop producing when the demand diminishes. There right now is one attorney for every 323 Americans. By the year 2000, there will be one attorney for every 200 and some Americans. We are depending on argument for the furthering of our power. But the gospel would not have us go that route. Satan wants for conflict to happen. Now, Satan doesn't, doesn't deal that way. It's not his modus operandi. The Bible says in Genesis 3.1 that Satan was the most what? Subtle creature. The most influential creature subtle creature that God had made. But look at the effect Satan has on our lives. The effect when Satan comes to us or sends a demon in our lives is one of conflict. Look at uh, Saul, uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapters 18 through 24. It says that when an evil spirit came upon Saul, what did he do to his partner 
to the one who had served him, to the one who was still loyal to, the, to him, to the one who played him music to calm him down. The first thing he did is pick up a spear and try to kill him. Conflict. What was there in Peter that when Jesus said, I'm going just to lay down my life, I must sacrifice myself. There was a block. No, don't sacrifice yourself. There must be a better way. Who was that in there? Matthew 16, 23. Get thee behind me, Satan. What happened when Satan entered into Judas? Luke 22, verse 3. He went out and got a mob to forcefully control the Lord of the universe. Who caused the conflict in heaven? Revelation 12, verse 7. Satan. What was the only cure for the conflict? Revelation 12, verse 11. The blood of a lamb. The sacrifice of Jesus. What was Satan's argument when he came to Jesus in the wilderness? Matthew 4. His argument was basically this. Jesus, you think that just a regular life is going to accomplish what you're going to need, but, but, but a normal life won't do it. Therefore, you need to pull some tricks out of the hat. You really do. Because just living a regular life is not enough. Just being an example is not enough. You've got to do some spectacular stuff here. I wouldn't doubt it if he had even put the time pressure on Jesus. Jesus, you just got a little while. You've got to make things happen here. You know that. You've got to make things happen. There's only a, there's only a while, so you've you just got to take matters into your own hands. i got an idea. Why don't you turn some, some stones into bread? That'd do it. That'd do it. Or even better, why didn't I think about this before? Why don't you go up to the top of the temple and jump? You know that the angels would bear you up because it says so in Scripture. What was the pressure? The pressure was that a normal, ordinary life cannot really impact the world the way we need to impact the world. That was the pressure. Jesus didn't do it, did he? What is the pressure when Satan comes to you and says, I know you're living a good life, but you know what? It's not doing it. It's not doing it. You're not affecting the change in people that you want to see. You're not affecting the change in society that you want to see. You've got to have something more powerful. You've got to go from influence to politics here. You've got to have something that controls people, not something that they can just see if they want to. Today, in evangelical America, there is a whole new fad. It is called power evangelism. Not just evangelism anymore, power evangelism comes out of the vineyard, John Wimber. Now, they've done a lot of good stuff, a lot of good stuff. They've taught us much about worship and so on and so forth. And you know what? I believe in miracles. I've seen miracle after miracle happen in my life and in my ministry and in your ministries. There's nobody who can convince me that God still does not do miracles. He does miracles. And there's very few days that go past that I'm not praying for a miracle and expecting a miracle. Very few days. But I want you to see the subtle influence here. By power evangelism, they mean that there must be signs and wonders that accompany the gospel because 
Just the regular old gospel spoken out of the regular old word doesn't really do it anymore, see? Never mind that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? Word of God. You know, you've got to have signs and wonders. And so therefore, that will work. that's what makes for power. That will convince people. That will shock people into believing. See, even in evangelical America, we fall back into the stronghold of manipulation, of some form of coercion, of some form of force. What is the name for Satan? The name means adversary, going against, being forceful. What does the name mean, Emmanuel? God with us. Notice the gentleness. There, there doesn't need to be anything else. Just God with us. Let me share with you today two things as you are tempted along the way to resort in your relationships with one another and in your approach to society. Two things. First of all, there is a weakness in power that we need to pay attention to. Jesus said, put your swords away. Any who live by the sword will perish by the sword. That's a prediction. The weakness of power is this, that power always underestimates the unseen. And power always misses the desire that all of us have and the need that all of us have to be free to make our own choices. Power misses, first of all, a principle of physics that says, that all of you know this, for every action there is what? A reaction. So therefore, if you're pulling a power move on someone, somewhere down the line, that's going to come back, isn't it? Somewhere down the line, it's going to come back. There can be, and there have been, years and years of oppression on some peoples. But it never lasts. The Roman Empire is gone. Nazism is gone. Communism is on its deathbed. Oppression never lasts. It doesn't matter how strong it is. It never lasts. Because you know why? People are only devoted and loyal to what they love. And they're only in love with what they respect, what they're drawn to, what loves them. There is a weakness in power. And the weakness comes when you try to be a Christian soldier by force instead of by servitude. If you want to fight a war in the method of Christ, don't go out to force. Go out to serve. Go out to love. Because nothing really works long term but the devotion of the human heart. When you serve people, you win the heart. When you win the heart, you win the person. When you win the person, you win the war. It's that simple. It's not about power. It's about people. Spiritual warfare is not about power. It's about people. It's not about religion. It's about relationships. You can't force relationships. And I don't care how long you try and how powerful you are, they will push their way through it. I went to my grade school some time ago. Went to my hometown in Shelby, Ohio. 
and uh, went to, just took a trip down memory lane, went past my old house about when I was a kid, and there's my house, and there's Red Bricker's house, and KG Coons up the street, and so on and so forth. And then I drove to my elementary school, Auburn Elementary School, and drove around the parking lot. And there was the blacktop that I remember. They used to play kickball and, and jump rope and all that kind of stuff on. And I saw in this blacktop grass growing through the blacktop. Now, let me say that more specifically. Not grass growing through the cracks of the blacktop. Grass growing through the blacktop itself. I looked. It didn't look like there was any hole. There certainly wasn't any crack. And I thought, how in the world could that happen? It could happen because that's the way the world works. No matter how strong the force, one gentle push that is long-lasting will finally break through the oppression, no matter how strong the oppression. It's that way with people. You can sit on it for a while, but the gentlest thing in the world will overcome it, given time. Secondly, it's important to remember that there is power in weakness. There is power in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12.10 Paul says this, For when I am weak, then I am strong. Your power is made perfect in my weakness. Zechariah 4.6 Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Matthew 13.33 The kingdom of heaven is like a woman who took just a little bit of leaven and put it in the meal, hid it there. It was hidden. Until what? All the meal was leavened. Matthew chapter 11, I think it's verse 28 or 29. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle. I am gentle and meek of heart, and I will give you rest. Matthew 5, the meek shall inherit the earth. That's not five. What is that? Seven? Is it five? Okay, thanks. On and on and on. See the character there? If you would be a soldier of Christ, learn how to love. Learn how to serve. Is that our only recourse? Yes. Why must we be so limited? I'm not saying never confront. You know, obviously we confront, but we confront one time always with love, always for good, the good of the other person, and we step back and let God have it. That's what we do. Because God is the power. Now, here's the point. One time, people came to Rossini. And it was a company, an opera company, that had one good singer. It was a contralto that sang B-flat wonderfully, but that was obviously her strongest note. And they came to Rossini and said... Would you write an opera that centered around one note? Well, any other composer would have said, I would not be so confined. No way. But Rossini took on the challenge. And he wrote one of the most wonderful arias 
that allowed this lady to repetitively sing B-flat while the orchestra and choir wove the most powerful, beautiful harmony around that one note. It's exactly how spiritual warfare happens. You are not the power of spiritual warfare. You are the point. The power comes with the orchestra of the heavenly forces and the choir of the angels that wrap themselves around our humility that would simply follow in His steps. That's what we are. And be guaranteed of this. Any power we have over people that is of a political nature will be destroyed. You know, the, for every action there is a reaction. The Bible has even a more specific insight into that. In Galatians 6, 7, and 8, it says, Whatever you sow, you will reap. If you sow to the flesh, that is, our natural desires to control each other, we will reap what? Corruption. Exactly. No matter how strong it starts, it disintegrates. If we sow to the Spirit, we will reap eternity. Doesn't matter how weak it starts, it is there forever. Let me give you a historical um, point of reference that I use periodically, but it speaks to this point so strongly. If I could take all of us back, just in time, to the streets of Rome, around the year 50 A.D., and we could all stand on the streets, we could well look in one direction and see the most magnificent architectural statement and a symbol of the power of all the Roman Empire, the Roman Colosseum. And if we could look inside that Roman Colosseum, we might see thousands of people who were watching gladiatorial games, all of whom were waiting for the entrance of one man. If you could turn and look on the other side, you might see a dark, damp jail. And if you could peek in a small window, you might see a little no-account man by the name of Paul who was writing a letter, maybe to the church of Philippi. And he was having trouble with his eyes and, and periodically he'd get up and walk over to the jailer and said, I just came over again to tell you about this, this Jesus and what a difference he's made in my life. And you might hear the jail, jailer go off on a tantrum, not Jesus again. Give it up. Forget it. I don't want to hear about it. Paul, if you keep talking to me about Jesus, I'm going to have you whipped. You might see Paul shrug his shoulders and go back to letter writing, knowing that uh, there may be an opportunity on down the line. Turn back to the Colosseum and watch as Caesar walks in and see everyone in that Colosseum stand and with unity salute in thunderous chorus, Hail Caesar! Hail Caesar! 
Now, America, if I were to ask you, where is the power in that scene? If you were normal, good Americans, you would say, of course it is with Caesar. But thousands of years later, (laughs) in this country, one of our favorite names for our children is Paul. And one of the favorite names for our dogs is Caesar. (laughs) Warfare is not about power. It's about people. Warfare is not about politics because no matter what political power you have, it will fade. But no matter how small the portion of power that you tap into the life and the character of Jesus Christ, it can't do anything but grow into eternity. Would you pray with me? God, teach us not to go with our natural inclinations of power and control. Teach us the character of your Son. Not only are we willing to have his righteousness imparted to us, but we want his heart imputed, imparted to us. Lord, we know that in normal life, the word of the cross is foolishness to us who are perishing. But through spiritual eyes, It is the power of God to those of us who are being saved. Teach us to sacrifice. Teach us to be humble. Teach us to be submissive. Teach us to love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.